Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. My sermon tonight is not a repeat, but I did publish part of tonight's message in this book, edited by my friend and Reform Rabbi Jeff Resalkin. Jeff is a thoughtful intellectual. He started a blog years ago entitled Martini Judaism for Jews who love to be shaken and stirred. The book is entitled Text Messages, a Torah commentary for teens. And I was assigned to write for this week's Torah portion, Ekev, which is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 12 through chapter 11, verse 25. Whenever you had to study for exams in rabbinical school and know all, it's 7-11. That's how you remember this week's Torah portion. I know some of you may not know that, um, I'm dating myself. I think they call it MAPCO now, but 7-Eleven was once an association for those of us older. So in chapter 10, following last week's Shema and Ve'ahavta in chapter 6, every Jew in chapter 10 is reminded and admonished, and I quote, I'll read the English, to love God and to serve Adonai, your God, with all your heart and soul. What's the problem? The problem is that the word for heart or impulse is written in the plural, not the singular. Why does the word heart switch to multiple form instead of libcha, a single form addressed to a single individual. And you, whoever you are, shall love God with all your hearts. Because the Torah is honest enough to admit that within each of our hearts are two impulses. One for doing good, Yetzer Atov. One for doing wrong, Yetzer Hara. And there's a famous story I recount in the book chapter about the son of a Hasidic Rebbe in Eastern Europe, Ukraine. The kid was smart, but before his bar mitzvah, he was very sad. My dear son, why are you sad? You know that now that you are 13, an important guest is going to come into your life. 
the Yetzir Hatov, the good inclination, the good impulse in your heart. Ah, yes, Papa. But Yetzir Hatov has a partner, the Yetzir Hara, the wrong impulse. And as long as the good partner was present before Bar Mitzvah, I didn't know the bad, the wrong, the evil. But now that I'm Bar Mitzvah, I know that both are inside me. So his father, the Chartov Rebbe, explained, my son, very often we're all tempted to do wrong. That's the evil impulse. Now that you are 13, you must cultivate the willpower to overcome the evil impulse so that the good impulse will prevail. And that's why the Torah reads levavecha, plural, and not libcha, singular, to remind us to love God with both impulses. Because he concluded impulses are not evil by definition, it depends on what uses we make of them. And over a thousand years before that story, a rabbinic midrash speaks of a horseman. I don't know if any of you are horse people out there, but a lot of the rabbis back then, there were no cars, they were into horses. Um, the rabbis say that a, a horseman on a horse has three alternatives in the treatment of his wild horses. He may let them loose to cause unlimited havoc and destruction. He may lock them up in the stable and continuously worry about their possible escape from the stable. Or, thirdly, he may train them and harness them to help him and facilitate his labor. And the rabbis say, so it is with our instincts. We can let our anger loose. We can let our pride loose, which is the height of recklessness and irresponsibility. We can lock them up and become what psychologists call repressed. Or we can channel our impulses into meaningful and constructive activities and deeds. The Midrash concludes with the observation that if you want to seek a life of purpose, and meaning and fulfillment, and who doesn't? You will find the training and channeling of human impulses the most promising alternative of those three. And this applies not only to individuals, but to societies, whether in America or Israel. The opening of this week's verses, by the way, talk about the land of Israel. For Adonai, our God, is bringing you into a good land, a land of wheat and barley, grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. But this week's 7-Eleven Ekev portion goes on to remind our ancestors, and hopefully you and me, that the behavior of the people in our midst their relationship to the land in Israel or Memphis and everyone in the land is what's going to determine the character, quality, and sustainability of a land that could flow with milk and honey if we treat the land of Israel and its people, if we treat this land from California to the New York Island and the people in it with the proper channeling of the impulses 
the greedy to be overcome by the selfless. As you may know, or maybe you didn't, Deuteronomy is a repeat of the first four books of the Torah. Did you know that's what Deuteronomy literally means? It means repeat or retelling through three long farewell addresses by Moses and his final orations to the people of Israel as they prepare to enter a new chapter without him. And he reminds them that the consequences of their actions, the channeling of their impulses, their concern with the physical well-being, not of what you get, but of what you give, the well-being of others. It's addressed, and I just want to share one more verse to show you that you know this Torah portion. Kilo al halechem levado adam. I bet you know what that means. Man does not live on bread alone. Have you heard that one? That's chapter eight. It may be true that a human cannot live by bread alone, but the mere fact that the Torah added the word alone means that a human cannot live without bread or food of some kind. And this theme of channeling impulses led me to this great essay by Martin Luther King. It's entitled, The Measure of a Man. And he actually cites this week's Torah portion. The idea that when it says man cannot live on bread alone, it means that man can't live without food, without bread. And he writes, and I quote, religion must never overlook this idea in the Torah. And any religion that professes to be concerned about the souls of people, of men and women and children, but not concerned about the economic and other conditions that damn the soul, the social conditions that corrupt people, or policies that cripple them, or using God to hurt or hate people, is a dry, dead, do-nothing religion in need of new blood. For it overlooks the basic fact that a human being is a biological being with a physical body too. Yes, we are souls, but we are biological beings with a physical body, and this must stand as a principle in any religion. But this isn't the only stuff, and with this I conclude, King adds, he cites that some years ago, a group of chemists who had a flair for statistics decided to work out the worth of a human being's body. How much could he get for the body? And they computed that when all of the physical stuff in an average person's body was added up in terms of the market values of that day, this is the 60s, it came to $1.98 for the average person. Now, of course, we cannot explain the whole of a person, the mystery of the human soul, in terms of $1.98. There's something within each of us that cannot be explained in terms of dollars and cents or reduced to chemical or biological terms, which led him to the Jewish biblical idea that every human 
is actually a different image of the same one God, a free being different from lower animals and not guided merely by instinct, but given the ability, here we go, to channel our impulses, to choose between alternatives, the good or the bad, the high or the low, whenever we choose that yetzer hatov, that good impulse, and channel the yetzer hara, the drive to success and our own selfish aims to something broader and better, not for our sake, but for God's sake. For as the Torah and King both remind us, no matter how small one thinks his or her life's work is in terms of the big world, what a person does really does have cosmic significance if a person is serving humanity, doing the will of God, serving others. Or in one sentence, an individual has not started living until he or she can rise above the narrow confines of his or her individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Amen.